In Technicolor. I was doing the Simpsons intro, but... Oh, so we were all on three separate pages. I'm just separate. clarifying. It's fine. That's, that's Welcome to the Crash Course Podcast, everybody. The course. After two weeks of absence, because John was a dick and I lost my voice. Hey, I was not. I had to go to Pennsylvania for a train Nobody show. actually goes to Pennsylvania. I know. Except for Philly fans. Nobody actually goes to train shows. Actually, this guy does, and it's kind of awesome. We he actually, works for trains. Yes. It's an expo. 12, I believe 000, that's come up before. Every once in a while, you should pitch this. 12,500 12, people attended. Whew. Gee. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Why? There's less people in like a hundred square mile area. Because we're in Bumble F. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere when we go I'm out tr- there. I'm trying to see if that's right. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Wait, John was right about there. something? You might have There's actually gotten a statistic marginally correct, depending <laughs> upon an average of, of, you know, anywhere USA. I'll put it this way. A broken way. clock is still right twice a day. I'll put it this way. <laughs> there you go. The area <laughs> of the county is like between 10 and 20 times the size of Staten Island, and it still only has like half the population. And what he's trying to say, there's more people at his thing than there are of you out there listening to this thing. So... We don't actually really? know that because we've never actually crunched Are you going to let John win? Are you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Tell your friends. Um, at the top of the show, since we haven't really talked about what we've been listening to in a long time, um, I do want to bring up that I've been moderately obsessed with Schaefer the Dark Lord's new record, Sick Passenger. Um, the week it came out and the subsequent week after, that's all I listened to. Nothing else. To and from work. Obsession. Yes. Um, By Calvin Klein. But I really enjoy the record. Um, I'm hoping by next week, me, John, and Steve could talk a little bit about it because I uh, put it up on the sky drive for them to take a gander at, or listen because gandering is looking. We'll, we'll, we'll gander. We'll, we'll gander. You'll gander. Don't worry. Um, I also at the top of the show want to give a shout out to Robbie and Maya who have been listening since I don't know since I recommended the podcast about a month ago or so. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Um, thanks. No, yes. Really, really, I mean that. <laughs> um, also, oh, I get to talk about Painless Parker Plugged In. You are so upset you missed it and you don't even know it. It was so well, good. now I do. Thanks for telling me. So he, first now of he's going to be upset. So you the, made I'm John upset. cry. So, so the plugged in I'm part, not crying. I, you on the inside, though. You only cry for two reasons. When a child is born or when your sports team loses something big. We're, we're not allowed to talk about sports. <laughs> um, this is a very shallow idea. Um, <laughs> Painless Parker plugged in set, which he played on his birthday a few weeks back. Um, his plugged in ex- accoutrement were Robert on bass and uh, Alex Bell of the Wasties on drums. Um, and it's funny. So you guys have seen how Noam dressed and how he shows up. Painless, Painless turns up in a... I think it was a CBGB's t-shirt, might have been a Ramon, no, it was Ramon's t-shirt, a leather jacket with buttons on it, jeans, boots. He came punk. Totally punked out. That's the thing, he has this punk background, which always seems to be slightly in the closet, yeah. even though he describes it at length, but then he never really has the image. Yeah, even so. though, he's he's the kind of guy that has a pocket watch, 
and has a breast pocket to put the pocket watch into. But, um... He has he's... mustachios. <laughs> but the performance was very awesome. For a brief moment, I felt like I was back in CBGB's minus the smells of vomit, cigarettes, and piss. Well, you weren't there that late that night. <laughs> it was at the way station. The way station never gets that bad. True. Anyway, um, so that show was really great. Uh, another shout-out to Painless, um because it was really awesome to hear and I'm hoping he at, at some point records an album of that version as well oh and he called them remember he talked about Painless Parker was an old dentist and he took on the name Painless Parker his uh, his band it was Painless Parker and the Impacted Molars I like that yeah I like that I thought you'd appreciate that dental jokes yeah you like strange jokes this is not news I'm not an anti-dentite the Seinfeld reference yes I know what is wrong <laughs> with the world today no, with Steve with in particular. <laughs> you knew what I was referencing. Of That's good. Of course I did. <laughs> okay, well, let's get uh, into our album for this week. It's uh, John's pick. Today we are listening to Arctic Monkeys AM, which is actually a, uh, a blatant ripoff, and they said it themselves, of the Velvet Underground's VU titled album. Yeah, it's, it's an acronym. <laughs> For themselves, it's 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 exactly that deep. It's essentially a self-titled record. The, uh, the Arctic Monkeys are an indie rock band with leanings towards hard rock, alt. psychedelic rock, alt rock, a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of R and B. They are very much a fusion style band. I would call them fun for everyone, but they definitely <clears throat> uh, they definitely bend the norm. Yeah, can't put me in a box, man. No, you can't. Well, mostly because it wouldn't fit. It depends on how thin I slice you. Um, Ooh, <laughs> they <laughs> let's, uh, let's Arctic Monkeys have been around for a few years. This is this is their recent rendition. I haven't heard anything within the last two three years though by them. I do know they have had a few other uh, albums. This was just back in September on I think the sixth that came out on. Okay, um, let's get right into the first track. It's called "Do I Want to Know?" Uh, question mark because that's important. Um, which is the intro track to the record. Um, for an intro track, as far as intro tracks go, it was, it was kind of very engaging right off the get. It was it had a drum backbeat that Steve, and this word's going to come up a lot, Steve defined as hypnotic, which was a good majority of the record was very hypnotic and engaging. It kind now of drew you in. Now he said it. Now I can't say it. Of course this you can say it. Unbelievable. This song... I was going to say it many times. <laughs> this but song... now you won't because I said it. <laughs> this song is a blood-pumping slow burn. Slow burn. It's a very steady rhythm, very steady song. Does a great job of bringing you up. Uh, it also showcases the very freeform style of lyrical singing in this album. Uh, what they're known for. Does, does yeah, it almost had realize, a rap format too to it. Not didn't even it? it was pure freeform. Not train was, of thought, but pure freeform. Well, there was a looseness about it because the vamp was so long. When you consider it. It, 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 it's it's pretty slow, but if you stretch it out over the course of the entire verse, it almost feels meandering in a way. But I kind of like that. It was um, to that extent, it was hypnotizing. Yes, yes, not hypnotic at all. Same thing. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah. I mean, the 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 interesting thing about this band is going into it. I mean, we throw around the word indie a lot, and indie, like a few other descriptors 
kind of has mixed meanings, doesn't always mean just one thing. <laughs> but it's a little more pigeonholed than other words like alt. But but as we started listening to the record, I kind of said, oh, this sound. It's like, you know, the killers when they were good. <clears throat> I think it's important to mention at this point that there was, um, there's a similarity, I feel, here. And, and it's, it, at first I had just detected it, but it turns out there's a direct connection between this and the same Queens of the Stone Age album that we reviewed like Clockwork back in episode 52. Now, we had some opinions on that, certainly we differed, and the thing is, I feel like in many ways you could describe them as being somewhat in the same genre. Yes, it's true, not that everything they've done is really that similar, but at least in terms of ambition for their most recent projects, like Clockwork and here AM, they they seem to be going for something that was still very close to old school rock, but at the same time wanted to break out in in Kind of turn around its head a little bit. Exactly. And that's not completely by accident because the lead singer of uh, Velvet Underground is featured in one you of mean these Arctic tracks. Mon- Arctic Monkeys. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. It, um, of Queens of the Stone no, Age no. and Arctic Monkeys <laughs> switched singers. Velvet Underground will come up a lot not too. Switched, but yeah, but unfortunately. Actually, let's get that out of the way because it's a bit of news. Lou Reed, the singer of Velvet Underground, has passed away recently. Yes. And uh, Within the last week. Yeah, so there's that. But what I'm trying to say is that Arctic Monkeys. <clears throat> And Queens of the Stone Age, their lead singers had both featured on, featured each, on either uh, res- each uh, respective album, records, yeah. respectively. The sentence is done. Yeah, that was the worst <laughs> sentence I think we've ever tried to all pull out of you. You, you sounded you like spam. You got it though. Eventually, we got sound, it eventually. You sounded like spam. Oh, so let's continue to talk about. Uh, do I want to know though? So uh, one one line that really struck me, and I want to start talking about this. The pre at the end of the pre-chorus because this one actually did have a verse, pre-chorus, chorus setup which is a little bit deviant from what you expect nowadays the last line of that the nights were mainly made for saying things that you can't say tomorrow day i like the way that they're that they're building up the theme work in the lyrics uh the titles are very descriptive of what they're going to be singing about do i want to know is about that dark secret of who he's talking to i really enjoy the way this is this is personified in the pre-chorus and chorus work. Yeah, and I think it really, it really pushed itself forward. The pre-chorus specifically really pushed the track forward. Just the way it was alternating between the uh, the chorus and then the primary vocalist, the chorus and the primary vocalist, and then it pushes even further when it drops to the chorus, where he's actually just singing along with that vamp that was yeah. in the background. So they double each other, which kind of ties it all together. I think it really makes it such a uh, alluring track in that way. And also what really brings the track together is the backbone of the drum beat, which becomes even more prevalent in the tracks to come. But there's just the steady drum beat It's not like there's the anything track. fancy. There's nothing fancy at all. It's completely yeah. steady. Yeah. That, that's that's why it's, you can just zone out on it. Yeah. But it does uh, create a creep factor, a disturbing factor, that is really within the whole album. And that is with the first rendition of the, the high-pitched crawling back to you. When when they start doubling and harmonizing on, on those lines, on that line specifically, it really does a great job of, of cutting to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, all, they all jump in unison, with, starting off with that line for the chorus. It's, um... Yeah, the whole, uh, it's got an interesting progression. It's like you said, it's not necessarily, it's a little bit deviant, I guess, from what you'd expect. Yeah, not just first chorus, first chorus. The fact that it moves through those three different stages. It's not like we haven't looked at the music, you know, that features a pre-chorus. But sure. it, it, it makes it more Most... of a gradual 
climax. Well, and mo- in some sense, it, the whole track doesn't really climax at all. Right. It really is always a step upward. Well, and also that uh, verse, pre-chorus, chorus structure is prevalent in most of the tracks on this record, whereas with a lot of the other bands we've reviewed, a couple of tracks will have that format, but not the whole record. And it'll primarily be a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, or bridge, chorus. Very what, simple. What have you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's actually very simple. Yeah. There's a few tracks in this album, though, that are... are, are fairly clear-cut and we'll get down there later moving on to track two so are you mine is where the drums kick up to the next level and i realize that the drums are going to probably be one of my favorite parts of the record so this song just has such beautiful drum fills and it's got this great great backbeat that doubles with the bass there's a lot of bass drum interplay on this whole record i've ever heard a drum fill described as beautiful before most people don't think about drums in that way. Most people think, oh yeah, awesome drum fill, or incredible drum, technical drum fill. Not beautiful. It's just kind of a strange choice you chose there. <laughs> I thought it was. It was it impressive. Did, it was it very did, impressive. It it's did. actually kind of amazing to consider that between the first track and the second track, you go from this very steady drum beat, and I, I almost didn't notice the drums, how, how talented uh, the drummer is in the second track. It's, considering there's such a big difference there, I think it's amazing at how subtle they managed to seat that in yeah it's it's not like overtly where awesome it's like oh yeah it's just if you listen to the fills if you listen closely they're there yeah and that's because of the heavier play on the guitar work it was really old school psychedelic rocking guitar in this song oh yeah and it did a it, it harkened back to uh floyd to just a not the near complexity, but the Hendrix-style bass guitar yeah, that you Name expect. a band in Woodstock. And to be honest, there was a live uh, feel to this track in yeah. itself. And it that, definitely that had came that in, energy. That came in with the vocal doublings, and it was really fun. And the fun. effects being placed on the vocals as yeah, well. Yeah, and it was really fun with the chorus work because it wasn't complete doubling. The harmonies were sporadic <coughs> in nature and really did a good job of accenting the lines, which really brought that emotional desire feel yeah. in the song out. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I can't even comment on that. No, yeah, and it just, it, it was, like I said, this is the first track you really get that sense of the drum-bass interplay that's going to be prevalent throughout the entire record. It kind of defines the sound of the first half of the record. It's very much in the drums and bass. Yeah, there's some connectivity there. You notice that immediately, even even with the guitar also. Yeah, the uh, guitar too, the, yeah. the vamps had, had little similarities between the first and second track. Granted, yeah. the second track is not as hypnotic, but yes. it, it, um... It's a tied together sound, right? And even though the the first the second track isn't as hypnotic hypnotic as the first, I'd argue that the second track is more engaging because well, there's more going on. Exactly. <laughs> Just that's, on that's a base funny level. Because, uh, on the face of it, I don't think you can be any more engaging than something that's hypnotic. Well, I guess, you, yeah. You're not just engaged, you're entrapped. <laughs> so. Well, the story is starting to take a forefront here, and there is some definite theme work being built here. Yeah. And we'll get into that in a little bit later. Uh, but one of my favorite songs is the next track, One for the Road. So this one, whereas the drum was more prevalent and kind of at the forefront, this, the bass steps up from the beginning, the moment the track begins. The bass is very much in the forefront. Because you got a picking guitar, not a tapping, not a strumming, a picking, a very clear cut, dun, 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 kind of a tone to it, which really creates very eerie sounds, very eerie themes in the song. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going here at this point. I mean, it's kind of atmospheric. I don't think you could really... 
that's one thing I don't think you could really describe the uh, the Queens of the Stone Age album as. I don't think you could really call that atmospheric. And I hate to make these comparisons necessarily, but I, I feel it's almost it's almost necessary because of the the connection here. Well, also with these tracks, with the Queens of the Stone Age tracks, there were moments you felt engaged, as if you were in a scene. It was building a mood in a scene. Whereas almost every track on this record, you get steeped in an ambiance of the track. The, the, the tr- these tracks very much built a scene for you because they were so engaging. And well, I, there was a creep factor to that album as well. Yeah, but this one is even more so, I feel. You're that's, really that's pulled into this scene. I think this one is scene. more so, and I think it, it, um, it, especially as a whole, like, they may have done it on, on specific tracks in, in Light Clockwork. But on this but one, the here, whole record, especially once you start listening to the lyrics, you really are being pulled into almost a movie-esque kind of scene I think what's fascinating to me, and the real success here, I think, over that of the other album... Not to compare, but I clearly am. Is that if... I think that it has something to do with how meandering this is. Like, it it manages to fill out the same exact idea of that whole, yes, creepy, you know, somewhat off-the-beaten-track off nature. And yet, it manages to show specific little variations within that framework. Whereas the other track, it's either they went all or nothing. Yeah. You know, their filler tracks would not fit it. You know, with the with like clockwork. Right. Here, it's even the filler tracks manage to fill out one aspect of it, however minor. Right, and sense. also the filler tracks are barely filler because they're still they're not just kind of there and not worth hearing. Either. Or they're ironic in some right. way. You know, it's very cleverly done, all things considered. And all things work to the theme work, and I have to say, one for the road is really really doing a good job of almost muse like scene setting. I'm going to make that comparison. That I can see that. I mean, not in the epicness, but definitely in the way it builds a scene. I in can the very, see the that. Right in the, comparison cinema- heavy now. the cinematic nature of these songs. You can, you can very easily visualize some, some cool scene work going on here. And I particularly like the visuals that the line, The cracks in blackout blinds cast patterns on the ceiling, but you're feeling fine. Hmm. There's there's some double entendre going on here. There's some real black and white noir theme work coming through here. Well, you, you just hit the nail on the head. That's the difference, I think, in my opinion, between your 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 muse comparison. While we're entertaining that idea and that imagery, I feel like the type of cinematic nature going on here, opposite ends of the spectrum. Muse went for something that was very relatable, very very epic in scope. Grandiose, this yeah. is Sin City. This is even more more, more off the beaten tree. This is this is this is your this is something off IFC. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> um moving on to the next track, which is one of my favorites on the early part of the record, which is Arabella. But the first time I listened to this track, so I had an issue with it. Not necessarily a bad issue, but an issue. The pre chorus and chorus are more or less a blatant ripoff of War Pigs. In drum work, in guitar work, in bass work. Sounds exactly like it. Now, this band has actually said that they're big fans of Ozzy Osbourne and have drawn from Black Sabbath to get inspiration. And this song is definitely an homage to that, as well as being its own thing. But it was also the first track on the record where I took notice of lyrics. Yes, it's... I, I equated it to Eleanor Rigby meets War Pigs. Well, that's the thing. That's the first thing that I noticed, actually, just before I noticed the whole Black Sabbath comparison. Because, yes, of course, the guitar riff is... is you can't ignore it. <laughs> I know we're playing a lot of comparisons here, but that's definitely something you cannot ignore in this track. But something that maybe you could ignore, but I'm not going to ignore, is the Beatles references. Yeah. Little, 
it's hard to compare Ozzy Osbourne and John Lennon, but I almost feel like he was walking that line during that chorus there. Yeah. Right after, you get that guitar riff, which the music in scope is clearly uh, Black what? Sabbath related. Yes. But then his style of singing and even even what he's singing really seems to go back to Lennon or, or late Beatles stuff. It, it has to do with, well, just listen to the chorus. My days, my days in bed, when the sunset gets itself behind that little lady sitting on the passenger side, it's much, it's much less picturesque without her catching the light. The horizon tries, but it's just not as kind as her eyes. It, I feel there's something about the romanticizing the innocent bystander here. That is something the Beatles did constantly throughout the end of their career. Well, yeah. You know, Penny Lane, Eleanor Rigby, exactly what you said. There's also Think Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and the imagery involved in here, and then you get lines like, And her lips are like the galaxy's edge, and her kiss the color of a constellation falling into place. Yeah, it's the style of, of, her, of their metaphors here, of Alex Turner's <clears throat> metaphors. It's... The Helter Skelter, also there's a Helter Skelter reference in this. I mean, I feel like this is not something that was done by accident either. Arabella's got some interstellar gator skin boots. That's something I feel could easily come out of, uh, you know... Let it be? Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. Maybe some of the later stuff as well. It Maybe. definitely has uh, a lot of the lyrical work that you you would come to expect with an old band. With a, a classic rock style. Not first wave classic rock rock and roll, but the more, we keep saying it, the more Woodstock style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely very apparent here. <laughs> Maybe even a little bit of Morrison. I'm my, I I mean, I love Jim Morrison. <laughs> We're going all the way down the comparison. Well, there is... I think well, we could lump this a little bit more general. Now, I think there's, there's a looser theme here at play, and that's just a reference to 60s era, 70s era rock. Yeah. The, the time when rock really burgeoned. But also... And, and in itself became an original entity as opposed to sort of, you know... The, the, tool, the tool that you would find used for high school dances. But also just remember also, you think this is comparison heavy now. The entire second half of the record is like loaded with things that are exactly like other it kind things. It kind of is a reference album. It I really mean, is. And I don't think that's by accident. No, I really think that they're looking to... Sh Here are influences. Enjoy, essentially, is what they're kind of going for. Um, the it's next funny, considering that the that the Alex Turner was quoted as, as saying, we've hit a stride with this album, and this album is actually where they want to be with themselves. It's funny that they use that that opportunity to, to bring in all these outside influences in defining themselves. But, I that, mean, that, that might really exactly define it. them, yeah. yeah. That's what defines them as But in the end, we want to stress, despite all this, this is a very original album. Yes. I'm not, like, despite the things that are incorporated, they're merely referenced. They're borrowing here and there. The end product is something that I really haven't heard before. Right, and I mean, even, like, the next track, I Want It All, I immediately think of Queen, because <laughs> the title of a Queen track. Even though the song itself doesn't really sound anything like Queen, that's the first thing I thought reading the name of the track. This was a great breather track. It was a, it was less just a, a throwaway track, but meant to be an interlude. It was a, it was meant to be an expansion uh, of of the sound that we've been growing to hear and and kind of bring us bring us a little bit more back to earth because we were getting a little bit heavy with One for the Road and with Arabella. And I called it a filler track you don't mind because even though it kind of has shades of a filler track, it was still very engaging and even hypnotic in its own right. You weren't bored with this track by any means. I think it had to do with the fact there was a lot of phasing going on in this track. That's always something that's sort of a little unsettling, if 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 interesting. Yeah. It's unsettling, and that's 
clearly not by accident. It's definitely attention grabbing. Also, the fact that there is really no harmonies going on at all in this. This track is entirely sung in unison by members of the band. Perfect unison. It's, It's a continuous melody throughout. And a continuous vamp really doesn't stray from that vamp at all. Yeah. This is why I think we interpret it as a filler track because it, no, it does not have that uh, you know chorus verse structure. Well, it's not. It's not as. It's not as prevalent. It's not. You don't think about that first. You think primarily about the vamp itself. The, also, the idea of I want it all. It's kind of curious that there's no naming going on. There's no real. The, the lyrics are very light, especially compared to the earlier tracks. This is about more the experimentation of the instruments, of really showcasing them, of, of giving you something a little bit fresher, a little bit newer. Well, it's, it's that expansion that I think really speaks to the theme work of this album. Since you started with the title, I mean, that's just it right there. I want it all. This is a song about un- unquenchable desire. You can't exactly take that. I mean, yes, you can take it through a, a series of, of peaks and troughs, but on the whole, it's a very singular sensation, a very singular feeling, which is why the track seems fairly stagnant, but it succeeds in that way. And also, I think it was really, now having heard the whole album, a great setup for the next track. It really is, I think, kind of the perfect breather before we got into... Not even breather. I think it was the perfect unison from Arabella to Number One Party Anthem. So this song, Number One Party Anthem, just a quick aside, oh me and Steve were talking about how, as we were listening before we recorded, that reading the track, we expected something from LMA, LMAFO. Who are, whatever. <laughs> who isn't even together anymore. I heard they broke up. Whoopee. Um, but, you know, I really expected some kind of, like, fast-paced party jam song. And it was anything but. Well, that depends on the kind of party you're thinking of. I guess. This was a party, though. It was. This was a despondent strip club montage. It was beautiful for it, for the creepy, smoky, dirty vibe it created. But to be clear, if you're just you listening know, to the music on this track... If before you even notice the lyrics, which is how I first paid attention to it, it's just a beautiful Elton John-esque kind of piano rock. That's just the thing. So I feel like you're 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 taking it more from the uh, more from the lyrics, John. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. that's yeah, yeah. true. But the thing is that that's exactly what makes this track sort of ironic, is because there's a distinct split between the lyrics and the music. The music is very it's very unassuming. Very it's lovey, very, loving. It's the kind of thing you would find in like. A 7 p.m. variety hour back in the 1970s. It's very family friendly. Yeah. Um, almost kind of campy in that regard. Yeah. But it and it's sweet because it, it takes sweet. you back to that bygone time. It's played in the bar at the Best Western, to some extent. But this is the best Best Western I've ever been at because it's got lines. Now, it's now you're taking it too lighthearted. This is a stage thing. It's very distinctly stage no, hearted. I can. I can see it as a a lounge music to some extent. Uh, it was more complex and advanced than that. True, but musically, I can see it fitting there. At the same time, I love how it speaks to the woman of this song and portrays her in such a great light, such a beautiful light with lines like, It's not like I'm falling in love. I just want you to do me no good. And you look like you could. It's really ironically beautiful. I think I'm using ironic wrong. No, uh, no, in this case you are using a correct. But yes. That's just that is exactly why I feel like, you know, just to go back to music impressions here, that this does not belong in a best western motel. Oh, yes, life. of course. Because the music really 
to me, this is something that is meant for the stage. The stage yeah. of the era, not today's stage. Obviously, there's probably no no stage out there, no no show that would take this kind of track. Actually, dated. actually, no, I disagree. I think this would fit perfectly for a very specific kind of burlesque act. It, it, actually. It, it's almost made for it. Yeah. But, but see, got... that in itself, that would be taken in, in irony. That would be taken yes. in jest. Yes. So... Well, then you know I'm talking about legit. There's no oh, okay. legit show out there that would take this seriously. It's hard. It, to, it's well, time has passed. Okay, careful with the word legit. But any serious, uh, it wouldn't be taken seriously for the time. Well, legit has nothing. to Variety with. hours did not have irony in mind. Right, right. They had popular of the day of the time, and that is what I'm talking well, about. I understand. That's where it was it's long. hard to fit in a song that sings of lights in the floor and sweat on the walls, cages and poles. And fit it in a family fun hour. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, but it's, the music itself, you wouldn't know it. You, it's just, you, it, you would think it does. It, that, I think a Muppet's going to pop out at any point in this track. That would and, be... And sit on the piano with the uh, with, with John, uh, Elton L. John. Or, that would be or an Rod in, Stewart. An incredible strip, strip show. That would be an incredible strip show. There just you having are. Grover pop out there of places. Are. Yes. Well, I feel like that's too. been done before. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on to another song that continues in this now slower, more beautiful theme work, where it's not as intense and in your face as the earlier part of the album was. Mad Sounds, a song that is the culmination of everything Velvet Undergroundy. I kind of verbed them. Um, this song adjectived that. adjectived them. Sorry. <laughs> So th- this song is clearly heavily influenced by the uh, the Velvet Underground, especially considering the way the lead singer <coughs> sings on this track. And what I really loved about this track is it's just such an indulgent song, simply about enjoying music, getting these mad sounds in your head that make you want to dance. It's not a dance song though. That's the yes. best part. Yeah, it is. If anything, it would it might fit in a slow dance setting, but it's really about how music can culminate and make you feel which is Things beautiful that, yeah okay especially after <laughs> especially after the rod stewart influences of the previous track this track this mad sounds really solidified my idea that this is uh an album meant for the night 60s and 70s and yeah. in some extent a tribute to the whole era and i think that's no more apparent than the very clear vocal stylings uh toward lou reed in this track this is the, the quintessential Velvet Underground track. Um, and, pre- I mean, it's appropriate, of course, he passed away recently, and this album was long since recorded, so uh, it's kind of a strange tribute in that regard, but also because of the fact that the title of this album is referencing VU. I just don't think this is any accident. Uh, no, of course they're, not. They're romanticizing this era, and yes, the fact that music had a way, especially uh, that style of music, had a way of just soothing you, you know, when you needed it most. Um... It's a tribute to that. And and that's one of the things I really love because, truthfully, there's not a lot of songs that really talk about that, that I can think of off the top of my head, at least. I'm sure there are. Very self-referential. But, but this is very much a meta song, and it's very much an emotional song talking about li- listening to music and taking something emotionally out of it, which I love, on every level. I'm actually thinking back to the only other song I could think of is off one of... Uh the uh, Phil Bots albums and the name is escaping me but it's specifically about dancing 
Okay. And the beat moving you. Right. Well, there are other songs that were somewhat self-referential, like Lose Yourself to Dance is very self-referential, because it's a dance song talking about losing yourself to uh, dance. That's a little loose at that point, though. Right. Almost a lot of dance songs are about dancing, well, because they're not really supposed to be about anything else. That's If they accomplish that, then great. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little far to go from meta. <laughs> but, okay. um... You know, I I think this song is actually it, it it works in this album. It's a little bit, it probably the most out of place, perhaps on this album, uh, in terms of style, but it's still in the same era that yeah. we're talking about. If if, if and it fits very same. well with um, number one party anthem, and actually speaks to the next song, Fireside, kind of unimpressive, to be honest. This was a little more towards the pop lines. But it was very catchy, very heavy beat, and did a great job of infecting you with the high energy. Steve mentioned that it was very much, this sounded like a Chili Peppers song. Very much so. Especially with the way the drums That's true. Came it in. actually almost almost uh, ruined my little arc here. But then it, they come straight back. Of course, yes, you have the, the drums and the, and the bass. The way they mesh in the beginning is very Chili Peppers oriented, which is far from 60s and 70s style. It's, yeah. very, it's very fresh. But... Then, during the chorus, they come right back with the whole shoo-wop, shoo-wop. It's yeah. like, all right, back we go. So, clearly there's an anchor here, even yeah. when they, uh, you know, And, and honestly, I don't mind this anchor, because they do it well, and they're doing it right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I right, think... wrong is kind of irrelevant, but they do it well. You know, it's engaging, and it pulls you in. This whole album is very much... The filler is the wrong word, but it's I would call it along the same lines as I want it all... It's meant to convey the idea and the theme work more well, I being wanted, a standout-ish track. I Want It All is almost an interlude. Uh, perhaps the only reason this, this track is a little bit weaker, uh, Fireside, is just because, uh, as I said, I Want It All was a, was a direct message. Yeah. It was, it, it went after one thing and it achieved it And gloriously. it was supposed to be focused in that way, yeah. This one is almost a little back and forth. It can be a little bit of a bore in the beginning until you get to that... Uh, until you get to that chorus where they sort of cycle back and forth between the major six and the minor four. That, to me, was sort of the driving force of this. But the rest of the track was a little weak. But let's be clear, even though it was a little weak, it was still an enjoyable track. And engaging enough that you... It's worth... It's enjoyable to listen to. It also speaks to some theme work of uh, combi- uh, the combination and the illusions music has with uh, sex, with lust, and all the work that... that uh, all the crossover that is between those two ideas and how you kind of equate one with the other. Yep. And this is where we really start to see, for the rest of the record, from this point forward, they kind of jump genre and even decades in some places from song to song. Moving into the longest track title on the album, Why Do You Only Call Me When You're High? One word. Question mark. Um... This song was a glorified pop track. In its essence, it was, this is the pop song on the record. It's witty, and I will give it that. It does have a... Again, pop not to be demoralizing or is a bad thing. It's just, it's clearly a pop track. This is a radio track you could hear on any of the radios and, you know, any of the pop top 40 radios. I like the, I like perhaps, the concept. Perhaps in how blatantly fun it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the concept is great, uh, but it's like... Uh, what was what was the the uh, nursery rhyme song we did recently? Nursery rhyme song. Uh, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. Oh, it was one of the Everlast songs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. I can't. I'm blanking on the title. Me too. Um, 
and it it's it's it has that wit. I just was my feel was it my medicine? My medicine. It was my medicine. Yeah. Yes, it has that same sort of idea. I just really, to me, it it complex uh, in its complexity. It's very shallow. Here's the thing. I mean, I I I can see your point there, and I think um, it's true. The the fun nature of this track doesn't necessarily. Uh, save it in a way I, I wanted to like this track I really did especially considering they, they came up with a really nice meter for that you know why yeah. do you only call me when you're high like it's a it's a nice idea but I, I think it was the tone that really clashed uh, with me here the, the 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 fun uplifting tone although it's still you know overlaid with the creep factor that is ever present here you you take that and then you take the idea of a person asking why do you only call me with your high I feel like there's a separation there of, of emotion on one hand, it's 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 creepy and a little bit daunting. And on the other hand, I feel like that's a question of insecurity. I don't feel like they're really the same thing for me. It's kind of just using a a a pop goofy structure to encase a uh, a relatively <laughs> personal idea. That's why I make the allusions to my medicine, which was. A nursery rhyme about drugs. It was a really conflicting idea. Yeah. I think my medicine did it better, though. Yeah, but also with this, my mm. thing is that, I mean, number one party anthem was this, was similar in the vein that the song very much divine a family firmly variety show sound, but the lyrics were anything but. This is the reverse, though, and it was... <clears throat> I Want It All and Party Anthem are, to me, just more expansive and more beautiful in their complexities I just don't get that in why'd you only call me when you're high I think you know what I, I have a theory here because I think a lot of this track's weight is carried by the title itself that could be that it. really is the grabber I mean and also people read the title that's meshed together in one and, and they're like whoa okay. well also when that, you're... Is, that is a serious question you know you have to wonder how he feels at that moment Yeah. that's the depth of the emotion I feel like the lyrics you know the rest of the lyrics don't really do anything to aid that one emotion. You basically have it at face value. Yeah, and with a title that long where you're essentially reading a sentence before you even get to hear the song, you're going to create a bias and idea before you even get into the song with a title that long. Yeah, it's like you don't get the same, uh, you know, it's up in the air kind of uh, sensation you get right. with the number one party anthem. You know, that could have been anything. We had ideas, we didn't get that. Yeah. Here, you get exactly what you, you were given. Right. Uh, moving on to the next track, Snap Out of It. So this song had a great kind of do-it-anyway Ben Foltz 5 feel, at least in the emotion the song's conveying. This kind of, you know, get out there, wake up, what are you doing kind it, of push. It was presented in the duality of the verses and the choruses. The verses are, are more low-key, kind of explaining why relationship, the relationship this person's in is bad. Why Why are you hypnotized? Why are you still with her? And the the choruses are the the smack to the face, snap out of it moment. Like the choruses sang in a way where you, it's almost like you're grabbing someone by the shoulders and actually shaking them physically. And that's in the line work. Yeah. I want to shake you. That's that's actually there, and it's really. It's, and that's a really strong image, strong imagery to present in the chorus. I mean, but I didn't feel anger in that in that chorus. No, it's but not shaking anger. someone isn't anger. It's intervention. Yeah, That's yeah what no, this I understand that. I understand that. It comes across as being a little bit lighthearted, though. 
that maybe that's my one critique, yeah. which is ironic because this is really my favorite track on this album. It is, but it's primarily for the verses, but, I noticed. If I do have a gripe, it is that separation between the uh, verses and the chorus. See, but I felt that with at least the the lead back from the chorus into the verse, they were connecting instrumentation that really pulled it together. I, mean, I, is... I, I buy John's interpretation. I, th- I think that is exactly the reason why it went toward this, yeah. you know, the the duality of... of um, of that approach and, and honestly, intervention. And honestly, though, if you think about someone shaking someone into a realization, like shaking someone until they realize something, it is a little lighthearted and comical. You don't actually physically shake people. That's well, not a thing that happens except in sitcoms. Of course. But when it comes to, to, to my reasoning here, it really boils down to musicality. I think right. that, that it was building something very gorgeous as of the verses. Between the falsetto, his vibrato, I've, I've thoroughly fallen in love with it by this point. It start, It reminded me of as tall as lions, uh, and then even, even though I wasn't as, as down with um, the choruses, even they managed to remind me of other things like N.E.R.D., Black Heart Procession. Granted, these are modern bands; they're not from the era, but what they were referencing, the same types of tracks that they did, were referencing things well, yeah. from that era. But also, the music instrumentation of the track also is is very much like. The, the piano, drums, and bass are very prevalent and mixed so well. I mean, the production value on this track is really great. Yeah. And, and it's and it's very standout-ish, especially in the blend between the chorus and the verse. We, I think that's where you really see it. It's not a blend, though. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a bold line. Oh, bold line, whatever. Connector. The connection, though, is within those instruments, I think. It was back in Are You Mind that we really talked about the beautifully textured drum work and its complexity, this probably was the best percussion in the entire album, in my opinion. And it was very pointed and very simple by comparison. It was just very... It was nearly perfectly timed in those verses. It was just that good. And it it probably... This, this album has some very interesting synthesizing work uh, with the instruments, has, has, has great reverb aspects it's got great you know whammy bars all sorts of random things are getting thrown into here they're really messing with the instruments but in this song it really had some of the most interesting uh changes to the actual tonal work of the instruments and it it was great yeah this 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 track is definitely one of the best one of the best tracks on the album i don't know if it's my personal favorite for reasons but but it's it's definitely one of the best made tracks on the record for sure. Even with the discrepancies Steve's talking about that aren't as impactful to me as they were to him, which that kind of just boils down to taste, I think. Still my favorite track on the album. Yeah, but you know I'm definitely favoring the verses. That's that's clear. Uh, it's, mo- it's, it's okay. Moving it's the on. Best musical moment on the album. I'll say that. Moving on to the next track, track eleven, knee socks. Um, this one was, I wrote jaunty, but I don't really think that jaunty applies really, but it, it definitely had a very strong 80s sound, and this is the track that features Josh Homme of, um, Queens of the Stone Age in the choruses. Speaking of 80s, it was almost describing, uh, it's describing a woman walking around in her man's shirt and only her socks and everything like this. This was Which dirty, is, dirty sex. But it's also 80s because what movie... That came out in the eighties. Exactly. Risky pretty, business. No. Yes. No, not risky business. It's it's almost like a very dark version of Pretty Woman. I guess, but I I'm saying specifically the dress shirt and knee socks image is eighties because that was risky business. But at the same time, of this this really beautiful <coughs> smooth voice, you've got some really great contrast uh, contrasting guitar work. 
really harsh work that just does a great job to to keep that dissidence in the song. I really want to say at this point in the record, since we're almost at the end of it, the singer's got chops. He doesn't... Oh, yeah. He does. His variety is within a very specific style, but there's still range there within that style. He doesn't really break from that style much, but he still can do a ton with it. I'm returning to the Queens of the, uh, the Stone Age comparison very briefly, just to say that when he... I feel like he knows his boundaries. Yeah. I feel like he knows when to use his talents, which I think are especially his, his falsetto and yeah. his vibrato, and use them in such a way that when they come... They, they really hit it home. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things of you don't have to be able to do any kind of singing to be a great or diverse singer. You just have to know your limits and play within them so well and make them your own. You have to have an artistic vision. That's I mean, that's, that's, that's why we like Justin Furstenfeld so much because emotionally and st- stylistically, he knows exactly what he can do with his voice and does it. The thing about this track... I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as much as, as much as I did many tracks in this album. It's very steady, assertive, bass-driven... Kind of candid vocals, yeah. You know, a little bit less flowery, but straightforward, and I appreciated that. Um, it was that strange interlude that that was, um, I, I think the the real turning point for me that that yeah. brought this album to, uh, sorry, brought this track to the next level, where the the high the high falsettos come in. I'm not even sure they could have been female voices in, but but then again, you know, with effects, who knows? But almost every single instrument drops out for them to jump in with this 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 rap like this hip hop vibe. It's uh. The lyrics there, you and me could have been a team, each and a half of a king and queen seat, like the beginning of Mean Streets, you could be my baby. That's a very, it's a very interesting line. I, and I, when I, that chorus, when that, that breakdown came in is also when they introduced Josh Homme, who was singing with yeah. them. It was and more the meter in which that was played that yeah. really, that was impressive to me. It was also when they dropped all, like you said, all the instruments except for the hi-hat and the guitar. And it was a really interesting combination, the way we were doing it, because this was one of the first times in the whole album we didn't have a beat, a heavy beat. Yeah. yeah. And it was really pointed. I, I think that was the that was the core moment in this track. I think that's that made this a little bit deeper in ambition yes. than many of the other tracks. In the I would agree. This was a very ambitious track yeah. in that moment, and, and I really liked it. And I think the featuring of, jo, of, jo, of Josh Homme really kind of wrapped the track up nice i really liked his complimenting vocals because they have they have a similar style and a different i think one step apart the 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 arc monkey singer whose name i don't remember is a little bit deeper than josh's but they play together very well and i think this is why i kind of regard the last two tracks knee socks and i want to be yours as a two-part ending because throughout this album we have a theme work of a night of debauchery and Knee Socks does a great job of culminating it with the man and the woman together. But it doesn't end there. I Wanna Be Yours does a great job, in my opinion, of, of setting out an outro of truly discovering the desire to be no more in this, you know, running around chasing loose women, but to actually become something more, to become a part of a relationship. Well, what I want to say about I Want to Be Yours, though, is that, and this is a total compliment, it's not meant as an insult no matter how it says, it was laughably cliche in how 90s R&B it sounded, to the point where me and Steve were almost able to predict the flow of it, but that's great. I thought it was fantastic what they did with it, but it was so cliche. Well, clearly you get to, I mean, well, by some uh, standards, you get to 
by some standards of criticism, you get to get away with certain things on your last track of an album. I mean, either it's going to be this 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 perfect, well-rounded close to a to a wonderful arc, or it's going to be somewhat of a joke. And you I know? like that. I think that the fact that they don't take themselves yeah, that even, seriously. We even got that, you know, last uh, last episode with um, uh, Ever- Everlast's yeah version of Jump Around. Right. You know, whatever we. Whatever disagreements we may have had about it, I, I, that was definitely not a reason for me to, to really rate that album. It was a, yeah. it was his choice, the last track. Um, this is their choice for this final track. I, I mean, in the end, yes, I probably do count it, you know, because it's it, it is the last note that you leave people on, but you can get away with the joke. <laughs> and I like this. I like how different it is. It really kind of wakes you up at the end and goes, "Hey, we can do this too. Hey, eat this." And and it, and I did. I ate it up. I loved it. I thought the lyrics were great. I thought the vibe was great. I mean, all three of us by the end of the track were head bobbing. I mean, it just it had a very standard '90s R&B beat, but it was great. I loved it. I loved what his voice did with it too. I thought it was a great match. It was a little bit of a twist from the standard night the R&B style singing you would hear, but still meter wise fit the tone and beat very well. And it had a great earnest nature to it. It was very much a uh, uh, heart-exposing yeah. kind of a song. With lyrics that made no sense. No, that's not exactly huh. true. It's more like you discovered you're in love and don't know what to say. With lines like, I want to be your vacuum so I can su- suck up all your dust. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a weird metaphor. But it's you're fumbling. It's something new. And we all know John is a fan of awkward metaphors anyway. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy wordplay. And they did... <laughs> and the worse, the better. To whatever degree. <laughs> the bad metaphors are actually done ironically. And it, they do a good job in, in, in creating them. Overall, I think it's a good conclusionary track. I don't know that it's the best one we've ever heard. But for this album, I wasn't expecting it. And I think that's why I enjoyed it so much. Conclusionary. New words all around. <laughs> well, well, <Conclusive>. We're <laughs> just works. making stuff up now. At this point, we have license to make up whatever we want. Oh, I do. I always, I always wonder with with albums like these because after you, after you, you know, spend, you know, almost an hour going through words like meta and and ironic and and this and that, you, you have to really wonder like what it means in the end. I think what this is going to boil down to is that it was kind of just a fun album. Yeah. Uh, you know, something that rare, you rarely are we so simplistic about these things. Just but enjoying things. Yeah. Yes, it gets clever, and yes, it gets intriguing at times. These are the two things that I think really make it step outside of the box. And yes, that, that creep factor. Not every single album out there uh, can can pull off being creepy for an hour. In fact, that's back to the Stone Age discussion. Is I think they tried in many ways. I just don't think they they went all the way with it. I, see, and I disagree now, knowing more about what Josh went through before recording that record. I understand that, that, and I'm sympathetic to yeah. it. it. Either either way, I I, I still have my opinions. Right, of course, itself. absolutely. Well, right. well, since it sounds like you're surmising your, your where you're headed with this, why don't you? Uh, I, I got a I got a rant. I'll, I'll I'll rant in a minute. First, you can go first. All right. So I mean, this record, I, I agree. I think that Steve, for once, is making it very simplistic. We enjoyed the record at its core. We liked it, like that's that's it. It it as for all the meaning and all the like. How does the old thing go? It's fun, and you can tap your head too. Yeah, yeah. Like tap your head, tap your foot, tap your head, maybe tap, tap anything. <laughs> but but no, I I think that you're right, Steve. I think at the core of it, uh, even though there's obviously more complex layers than that, 
at its core, it's just a good record that's enjoyable. I mean, it's definitely still, to me, not the best record we've heard this year, but it's by no means bad. It's definitely above average. It's even a little more than that. But, I mean, it's funny, because this is a record that you kind of have to pay attention to to get it, though. Because when I listened to it the first time in the car, driving, I was only half paying attention, and it really hurt the record. Because when we listened to it again together, I really got it. I really understood it. I really knew where it was going. And I, I was the same way, but I really enjoyed it, even though I wasn't paying too much attention to right. it. Well, yeah, I thought that it was good in the car, but now I think it's very good. It's got some onion layers. you got to peel back a little bit. Yeah, and it. honestly, I like that. To, because also, you don't have to work that hard to get those onion layers. you just got to pay a little bit of attention, and I enjoy that. Um, so, you know, and there's no bad tracks. I mean, that's always a plus to me. If it's an album I can listen to from beginning to end, I like listening to albums. I do, in their entirety. So when you can listen to something from beginning to end, that always gets bonus points from me. Just on the simplest of levels, because that means I will enjoy all of it. No editing, no chopping it up, no making playlists. I just enjoy it at its face value, so to speak. Um, I think for me, I was I was leaning towards a four, but I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a little more than a four because of just how much I enjoyed it and how really good it was you know i don't think it was unbelievable it's not they might be giants level it's not steam power giraffe level because those things have that extra something you know that brought it up above to either 4.5 or higher but you know honestly the one thing that i didn't really get a lot from it but didn't mind was that i didn't resonate with it emotionally that much there were moments where i did but overall i didn't have this huge emotional connection to the record I liked it and I enjoyed it. I guess enjoyment's as good of emotion as anything, but I didn't. I, it didn't make me feel a ton. It made me think and I enjoyed it and I grooved to it. But it was more hypnotic than anything else. So actually, you know what? I think I'm gonna leave it at a four. If I connected emotionally, it might be a little higher. But me personally, because I didn't get that extra level of emotion that I have gotten from other albums like Blue October and other stuff, it's a four for me. It's a really good record and I enjoyed it. All right. We'll go on a little rant here. I won't be so simplistic about it. But I, I have some, some points about this album. At least personally. This album does kind of remind me of high school in a little way. For the innocence and all that other things. I, but I mean that in a positive sense in this context. Because some do compare that with immaturity. And a lot of people really hated high school anyway, so they hate the association. But that was not me. I actually have very fond memories of high school. So just for the age reference here, this is 02 to 06. Pretty much just gave my age away. So this is like early, mid-2000s, and in that era, this stuff dominated, this kind of stuff, this fun, indie kind of music. But that's because this was the answer to the whole 90s punk scene. So it's kind of ironic because in many ways, it's analogous to what I mentioned in the last podcast or a couple weeks ago about how New Wave in the early 80s was the answer to the overt prog and all the psychedelic stuff going on in the 70s. They wanted to bring back the fun element and not alienate anyone. Same deal here. 90s underground music, for all of its benefits, it was kind of getting a little broody. It wanted to bring back the fun element here. So, same with the 70s. You already know I kind of lean toward proggy stuff, but everything has its place. And I understand the reaction. I love tracing these movements from reactions, you know, to movements. Now granted, it's not the mid-2000s anymore. It's 2010s, it's actually getting kind of scary to think that that's already a decade ago. But because so much time has passed, one might come to question whether indie music still really has to make the same point in this way. Which is a valid point because, well, I don't know. But to say that honestly, 
balls because this is incorporating modern elements, older elements, arranged in such a way that it comes off very fresh. So for that, it's actually a really striking piece of reference art with the talent to back it. It's not a groundbreaking record, but it takes a, a style and it nudges it just a little bit within artistic boundaries, and it's conscious and smart for being so. I would say, I would say I just summed up everything of what a four is. I can't really take it above that, but it it is it's a damn good album, and uh, definitely would recommend. I would even say buy. In fact, we'll get to that. That's right. at the end. All right, but I had to get that in I because it, it's it's fun for everyone, literally. Now. Well, first off, uh, I'm happy you guys liked it. I finally found an indie album, a recent indie album I enjoyed as well. Now, this, it's hard for me to add on what you two guys said, but there is a couple of, of points I'd like to make about the theme work, the arc of this album, because I haven't really talked about it, and I want to break it out now. There's two major arcs going on here. One is... The idea of the night of debauchery. It starts as a guy trying to pick up girl, culminating with one for the road, leaving the bar, going on with Arabella, and going, I want it all. So gotta go back out and party. Gotta hit that late night dive. Number one party anthem, Mad Sounds. That's that dive setting. And you go into it with Fireside, and it, it, it culminates with finding that special one for the night and realizing it, this isn't just someone you want to have one night stand with. I Want to Be Yours is talking about finally discovering a true relationship. It's a really interesting arc. On top of that, with the way we were describing each song, it goes from the 60s through to the 90s. This is an evolution in time as well. The earliest songs are the late 60s, early 70s, and as we go throughout the album, we're becoming more and more modern. That's an interesting concept in and of itself. And one I really didn't see until you, Steve, started really describing what eras they were drawing everything from. And it's it's a it's it might have been accidental. I think it was a little meta. I love that sort of thing. As and, I said, reference art. Yeah, and to see it and to see it played out, there's only two songs that I really see as what we would call filler and they're really useful and used in the concept of the art of the album as well. I really see this as a complete piece, so I got to be a little bit higher than you guys, and go with a, a 4.25. This is this is better than abandoned pools, but it ain't. They might be giants. That's the, it. Really is enjoyable, and there's there's a depth to it that I just love in the ideas. Ah, you bumped me. You're right. 4.25. <laughs> I always change it once. Yeah, you like to change. I'll stay where I am. I, I, I mean, like hearing everybody. I, I understand what John's saying, and I understand why Steve might bump it up, but the arc that you have, I didn't get it. Like, I got it. You explaining it to me, I get it, but listening to it, I just enjoy it. I don't get that extra level that you get from it. Which well, is, I, I, think, I did pick up the reference art even after the first listen. No, I, it's, it's a... Um, I can't ignore what the reference... And I like how they're able to tie all those different things. I mean, really, when you're going from Rod Stewart... To uh, to Velvet Underground, you know, to Red Hot Chili Pepper. I th I think it's amazing that you can take those three things and somehow combine it into an original entity unto itself. That's talent. That's yeah. Talent. And honestly, the arc, I don't the arc of the one of the the night of debauchery. I get, but it wasn't as prevalent. But honestly, 
As a fan of music, the arc of going from old to new throughout the song, I kind of have to give it a lot of credit for that. That's really clever. Really clever. Especially considering the way they ended it and it made me laugh. Steve's right. This is a 425. Because that arc is really strong. And I can't... I can't... It's very subtle, too. That was the cool part about it. And that's why I think I have to bump it up that point two five. It always depends on how you look at it. Because, you know, a lot of times I feel like I've given fours for being like, I barely makes it. You know, yeah. it barely makes it into the but, definably but, good. You know, but you and you're right. This, I don't want to say this is a barely. This this this, this the arc this is, is something. the arc is really strong. So I'll bump it up yeah. to a four point. So four point two five across the board. There you go. I guess the only reason it doesn't go higher for me is like you almost want that other. No, you, yeah. You want more spine tingling sensations. Yeah. And I do get that in moments. I yeah. do get that in moments here. Uh, Everything is solid in this album. The guitar work, the bass work, the drum work, the electronic work, the vocals. Everything is solid, but you only really get glimpses of something greater. Right. It's Whereas not... in those albums we mentioned before that were 4.5 and 5, they're, that they're thing... They're perpetually greater. Yes. I mean, looking looking at all of the theme work in Steam Power Giraffe or, or They Might Be Giants. I mean, again, They Might Be Giants still stands, and this will lead us into our little bit of a mini retrospective we're going to do. Um... One of my favorite moments in, in, in the history of this podcast is, and I got to tell this too, I actually met the wife of John Flansburg, Robin, who is a very sweet woman, who, uh, who I got to hang out with, who's good friends with Sarah. <coughs> I got to tell her that one of my favorite moments in the history of this podcast, and one of the only reasons I miss listening to the album for the first time together, is because when we heard Darlings of Lumberland for the first time, it was the only time in the history of this podcast, we were all completely speechless and our mouths were physically agape we didn't know what to make of it it wasn't just darlings it was it was those short 30 second clip songs hive but darlings mind, was really hive mind but darlings it. was what really did it because we had no idea what the hell to make of that yeah it was initially about, it was a fusion of like 40 different genres it had to do also with its placement on the album or album yeah right after replicate it, it's just like john said there's a lot of little ditties on that album you know what when you get so many of those you don't expect something as as massive powerful. yeah yeah and so you know and and this leads and and that moment leading into our discussion about how this podcast kind of evolved we want to talk a little bit about it and where we're going that moment kind of began this evolution of the podcast we realized after that as great as that moment was we really need to give albums more of a fair shake we're not giving them enough attention by only listening to them once yeah we we started off just trying to discuss something for an album and we started off exactly this way we'd listen to an album together and we'd try to discuss first impressions and you know we could we could do a decent amount with those first impressions, but at some point you almost felt like you were reaching. Like, well, and some of the albums, some of the albums it didn't really matter. Like from Maroon Five, first impression, tenth impression, that album was going to stink no matter what. Yeah. But true. with stuff like Queens of the Stone Age and some other bands, multiple listens lend to understanding the record better. I, I, Listening only once, you just don't really get it. I can confidently say that due to the technicality of of. Godsticks and visits conundrum. I made you guys listen we to it ahead to. of there time. There was no way. It's a. It's there a was doozy. no way we would have gotten everything from that record on one listen alone. And that's actually why our podcast has gotten to be an hour and a half to two hours now. And we why could, it's actually longer. Well, it's really kind of funny. We're actually pretty early today. Yeah, <laughs> this album this was a like, fairly this concise like discussion. In a but, long time. But also, the, the thing is. I felt in the beginning, and this comes from me being a creature of habit with podcast, being a podcast listener, as well as a podcast maker, is 
you want to try and follow other formats, but the reality of it is you're not going to find your true format until you just do it. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And, we, yeah. and, like, and we tried. We shoehorned in news. We shoehorned in uh, what music we're listening to segment. We shoehorned in these segments that were okay, but never felt right because we were doing just that. We and were we've whittled, forcing them we've in. whittled down news because in the end, uh, there are just so many sources. So many endless And we were just pulling from other sources that people are already looking at. In fact, the only at. reason I even brought it to the attention Lou Reed's death is because it seemed to be very appropriate to this album right here. So and if you know something's what? appropriate... Hey. There you go. I want to go out on a limb, not on a limb, I want to go out and say we're dedicating this episode to Lou Reed. There you go. I want to dedicate this episode to Lou Reed, who I is an incredible musician and so important to the history of music. I had many good good, good fond memories of, um, of of sitting in my suite, listening to my friend David try to impersonate Lou Reed, and, and pretty well, actually, playing Lou Reed songs uh, in the suite. It was very considering all of our buildings were built in the 1960s let's just say i felt like such a tool <laughs> yeah i'm <laughs> but, sure you did you know it was right it was an experience to behold but, but I, it's it's interesting that we really have tried to become more technical it's more we realized how places like metacritic will be looking to do one line renditions and that's just not good enough when discussing music right you you cannot be satisfied with oh this was good this was bad that doesn't explain anything. Well, also and you realize of... that you can't do that in an hour. You can't do that in 45 minutes. you got you got to take your time, whatever time it is. If it takes 10 seconds, if it takes two days, to properly explain why a song is good or why a painting's good or why any form of artwork is good, you have to find the right words. And you also need to discuss. You need to incorporate other people's ideas. And honestly... I don't think you can, you can be an entirely introverted experience. Right. Well... I... I, I I truly believe that you need other people. <laughs> well, yeah, well, and also the thing about this podcast, especially that I've discovered as we've added things like the Spotify playlist and <coughs> linking the Spotify playlist so so you can listen along, really changes and, in, and impressed upon this solid format of breaking it down track by track, which is something that, like, I've loved. Some of my favorite moments on the podcast are when we're breaking the album down track by track, people because it could have been any one of us is set in our way of oh this record was x but by the time we get to the end we lean over to y you know or even in our wrap-ups like i brought steve around to eve six because of how i explained it in my comparisons and those things are stuff that are not that if we didn't go so in depth and really discuss we'd never get to it's the fact that we break it down on such a molecular level musically and even you know album wise i think that's why we've found this kind of groove and the content has expanded and it, it has gotten longer is because you we can't just go oh this was good that was bad this was good because music has so much opinion opinion influence but the reality is what's good and what's bad can only be spoken by a technical level because you know if nickelback whether you love them or hate them they make money and they make music whether you think it's good or bad part of that is opinion some of it's skill level, some of there's fact in it, but the reality of it is saying someone sucks is not explaining anything. And we try to never do that. Here's a question, food for thought. Do you think that in the future we will inevitably get longer and longer and longer as we look more deeply into things? Or do you think we'll cap at some point, as one does with an album that is the same length? Or, further still, do you think there'll be a learning curve and we'll loop back on ourselves and become more concise with our ideas? I think... I think for the time being, we're probably at a very stable level of how we explain things. I think that that will all depend on the albums we're reviewing. I feel that 
every week it's different. The length has because we we we're not a steady length. We're somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours on the regular, but between guests, new genres, old genres, you know, bare naked ladies to nine inch nails, depending on the band, how complex the record is versus how how simplistic the record is, and even then, sometimes the records that stink, we go even longer on because we have so much to say about it. Whereas the album, like this week's album, the reason it was so much shorter is because this album was really good it was really really good but but it was on that didn't you well there's well, well no it's, but it's it's it, in the sweet zone of three seven five to four and a half where there's yeah. less to say because we really liked it whereas when we really love something or yeah. really hate something it's more passionate more vehement than just liking something that's probably true i think it also uh the reason we may have kept and were stable for the time being is because of the way most albums break up their album into tracks, perhaps 12 or 15 tracks. This is why we talk about each and every track, you know, track by track, and then come to a conclusion at the end. Yeah. But we haven't done that with everything. Well, yeah. For instance, Flying Lotus, we couldn't do it because the tracks were so brief that really it's purposeless to to break down each and every, you know, if you have a 45-second track, which is almost that of a soundbite, it's not really meant to be broken down. Yeah. That's what, you know, I I said a couple times, it's considered a curiosity. You you throw it in, you know, and discuss sound bites as sound bites for exactly what they are. And it's conversely, fun. conversely, you also have, you know, the the trilogies like the Border Stomp trilogy on uh, Godsticks and Visits Conundrum. I mean, that was you have to discuss that as a solid entity. You can't talk. It was about meant to be broken into three parts, track wise, yeah. but it you was can one mention thing. things here and there. It was about a movement, them. right? At that point, exactly. Uh, for instance, if we ever did a symphony we'd probably talk about them as movements. Yeah. Um, well, that's like we, we've been toying with, and, and in the future we, we're going to have Nate back on from Average Intelligence and talk John Williams. That's the plan yeah. going with forward. Any, with any luck, John Williams would do a movie and we'll be able to use a new soundtrack. But, um, well, <laughs> that won't be until the new Star Wars, and that's next year, I think. And so we're going to have a vote system and just pick the best <laughs> well, one we well, can Well, my point with that is when dealing with something by John Williams, I mean, with Jurassic Park, I can almost see it being broken down track by track, but something like Star Wars... Star Wars, you can break it down by track by track, but that score, that's a piece. That's beginning to end. It's all meant to in be. In many ways, you might even not even break it down in movements. It's yeah. just, it's, it's an entity you have to, we would take it as it comes, honestly. Yeah. It would that's be, exactly how it would go. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're right. I think as we continue to do that, and, and it's funny because Flying Lotus still in the history of all of the podcasts is the only one we didn't do a track by track. Yeah. But there may be more in others. I agree with a, We've some, done... a symphonic piece. No, we may not no, be able no, to break no, it down no, track no. by track. Green Day, we didn't do it actually track by track. We too did this track, then that track. Well, because we also back. hated it. Let's yeah. put it this way. If you have a series, I, I think actually same may have been true with Maroon 5. I'm not positive about that. But um, if you have a series of, of trivialities, you know, you realize they do achieve the same exact end. I, yeah. I feel like you can it depends on how you look at an album. We do kind of favor the album that has some semblance of arc or connection between the... I think just the days when you could put a sporadic collection up there. Unless you call it a collection, you know. Right. It's it's just not how well, we I still feel to... like even a record that's a collection of tracks, as long as there's something. There has to be a something. What I mean by a something is something besides just music at its basis level. You okay. need to give us something else. Right. So for example... In, in it. Meet the Beatles is a group of love songs. That's all it is. I love the album. It's not nearly the same quality, and not because it's early Beatles, but because it 
really has nothing to unify Same it. Same with Please Please Me and a lot of the early stuff. Yes, yeah. and it wasn't until like Where's the later stuff that which... it started becoming a real piece. Rubber Soul, uh, the White Album, Magical Mystery Tour. Well, that's Tour, just the thing. The White Album became stories. The White, White Album, album was is... a collection of songs. Yeah, it is a collection of songs. In many ways, they were turning back on themselves by doing yeah. a collection. It's almost it's almost a list of B sides. Yeah. Um, well, it's the esoterica of the Beatles. Well, a lot of people call White Album their favorite album. For me, it's not because no, of that either. exact same reason. You know, whether you put the Beatles on on a pedestal or not, I would still judge it in the same exact level. I think for that reason, the White Album is not the best album of no, the Beatles. No, I agree. Because yeah. You know, no, it's my favorites like... either Magical Mystery Tour or um, or uh, Revolver. Yes, Revolver is one of me? the albums. Just making sure, I, my I'm not mind sure. was putting no Revolver. I think might be one of my favorite records. Sergeant, well, Sergeant Pepper is easily mine because of the unified concept nature. I mean, yeah. Sergeant Pepper is the antithesis of White Album. Yeah. Well, White Album has all of my favorite songs by the Beatles, but it's really not the best album. See, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's okay. okay. Uh, but anyway, actually, on, that's a, no, that's actually an important point. Bringing up the White Album, something I want to get to. Something, another thing we haven't done that I'd like to do is the next band, whoever it is that we all enjoy that comes out of the greatest hits. I want to review the greatest hits. Why did they put? You know, is the hits are the hits list? Because not all greatest hits are listed numerically, like by year when the hits came out. Some jump around or are completely shuffled and. Like right. they try like to arrange the Red Album they and Blue to, Album by the Beatles. Right, and so I'm curious. To review greatest Beatles, hits. Beatles one album. Right? No, the red album and the blue album. They had two albums that were specifically oh, colored, right. same cover, but one red, one blue, and one right. was the first half, one was the second half. And so for me, I'd, I'd be interested to see because when you put out a greatest hits, besides the new tracks, if they include one or two new tracks on a greatest hits, which a lot of bands do now, it's really about the production, the track. Like, why would you know listing the tracks random versus in order? Why? Do they go better that way? Do they not? Do they complement each other? Do they don't? I'm going to show you... That would you... be interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I think it would I, be really interesting. On the face of it, it, it could seem a little trite, but I would like to take that challenge. Yeah. It's... Without it being covers like Everclear? Right. Well, because <laughs> Everclear released the greatest hits, but they covered themselves. They re-recorded all of their hits. Yeah. And... Well, no, no. Last week... Uh, well, not not last week. Oh, Everlast, you're Ever, talking about. Ever, Everclear. Well, because Everclear, Everclear actually... Everclear and yeah. Everlast. Well, Everclear yes. actually did do that. Everclear released an album Everlast. about a year or two ago where they covered themselves. They re-recorded all their songs. Well, Everlast was a, was a, akin to a greatest hit, but it was a group of covers. Yeah. Which is not the same thing. Yeah, it's not a production album where they just pluck the songs off the albums and put them on a collection. Right. Well, those recordings that he made that were fresh. So yeah. Right, that's why it wasn't a greatest it. I, I will say we are back to our old habits because we've gone completely off topic. Well, we, we do that too, and that's another reason why our format's right. expanded, actually. Well, then bring it back for us, Yeah, John. that's the other thing. I think we, we actually try to adhere to topics a lot more readily, and because of that, we also try to go to, for deeper. I think just, just in some self-deprecating, we really... Had no idea what we were doing those first ten weeks. Well, we were still trying to feel it out, so we were coming up with just anything that comes to mind, like greatest soundtracks, greatest we had, albums. We had like some, we couldn't, we I mean, couldn't, we didn't know what we were doing. The thing is, because we were also fresh and we had fresh ideas and all, all the early we stuff, the goodies, a lot of the really goodies, the ones that like we wanted answers to most immediately, they are in the beginning. So yeah. some of our early topics are are not to sneeze at. Right, um, but my, one of my favorite things about the early episodes is I still to this day. To me personally, which which episode I think is the most god awful episode we've ever put out, and I actually had a conversation with Alon about this recently. He we were hanging out for my birthday back on October twelfth. Yeah, my birthday, thirty now. 
Um, He's 30. We uh, we talked about how the first time we had the Wall Street players on, because we didn't know what we were doing, and we had a guest on the second episode, it was awful. The mixing, like the editing was terrible, because I was still editing, and we were recording on an iPod, iPad. It was just, it was a train wreck. But it's because we were trying something new, and I don't regret it, but it was a train wreck. It was still very much a... A uh, holding on for dear life, trying to make sure that we actually do the things we're setting out to do, kind of a situation. It was six people surrounding an iPad. You're gonna we're test? All... Nope. No. <laughs> we all, nope. We're all even. Fo- How does that sound? I don't know. It we'll sounds. Find out. It makes noise. It has a sound. Yeah. It does. That is I'm correct. Sure the microphone will hear us somehow. It was a little sad, but we've come a long way. We have, and we're gonna go even deeper with this on our uh, our year end wrap up. Which should be a doozy this year. We've got plans for it. Um, we actually, well, we're not going to be doing an album review. Uh, we covered it last year, and I had so much fun doing a Christmas album that <laughs> I kind of made them not let not not do one. We're not doing one. Still want to do one. I know you still want to do one. Now do it in writing. Maybe I'll do it in writing. I don't know. Okay. You could. Uh, but that's another thing that I want to talk about. Also, just briefly, is a promise for next year. Is obviously if you found this through iTunes. You haven't been to our website. We have a website also of the same name, CrashCords.com, which is where the podcast originated before we were on (laughs) iTunes. Um, We also did this thing where we wrote articles for the website, which we don't do anymore or very sporadically. In the coming year, I want to do more with that because I would like to tie in the website and the podcast more neatly, have more variety, give you more. Again, when I mentioned donating... I mention it because we want to do more with the site, and it's not free. And we're trying to do the best we can with free stuff. But, again, we ask for donations because the money you give will go directly into making the podcast better. Um, And it's because we want to do more with this. We want to be more than just a blog roll and an iTunes page. We want to do more, give you a music experience. And next year, I really want to work on that. Yeah, we're we're really kickstarting this. We really want, want more. And not because we want more. We want to give you guys more, the listeners, because we love doing this. Honestly. Hey, truthfully, truthfully, if no one listened, we'd still we, do this every week. Yeah, we would. We so would. Because it's just fun. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want more. I want it all, to quote today's track. Yeah, we of want course it all. you do. <laughs> but to be, we can always get better equipment. We can always get more uh, space. We can always try to get more writers actually giving you quality content. We can give get more people on the podcast, people you like, people you this know, people you don't people know. People you like. People you don't know, never heard of, and will fall in love with, because some of these people I have, if I've fallen in love with their music. We want that. This is, we're trying to make the world a better place in our own way. We really are. Don't laugh. It's but funny. But we really are. It is a corny No, line. I just love how that we turn from a, we seep from a topic into a self-pitch. No, yeah, well. we really do. Well, I mean, technically, if you're already listening, you like us, or at least I hope. Um, but no, I mean, I really want to do more with this. I mean, you know, this is not a career now, but maybe someday it will be. But it, it's definitely of, something we enjoy doing. I'm one of those people that loves it when somebody else loves the things I love. And I oh, know yeah. I said the word a lot, but I just, to have somebody have a spark of the I, same I, I feeling. Love, I love that too. Just, no, and just I, a spark of that feeling where you just are so full force in the same way I am is just amazing. Well, I'll bring it around back to music is I got that experience. So obviously I mentioned I was obsessed with Schaefer's new record, Sick Passenger, which is available on iTunes and his website, his band he, camp. See, he gets a plug too. Um, but, but no, seriously. So I, I was obsessed with this record and I listened to it a ton of times before I had played it for anyone else that I knew. And so then me and Sarah 
were driving together and I played it for her because I really wanted to hear it because I loved it so much. And she fell in love with the record as much as I did. She really liked it a lot. Really got what I was saying about it and really enjoyed it. That made me really happy. It's that spark of when you can share something with someone and they enjoy it as much as you do, that's one of the best feelings in the world. And for me, getting that through music is my favorite. Yeah, I think what we're trying to say here is we're not... The, the goal of the of this podcast is not to tell anybody what to th- what to think they're not they're not those kind of reviews in that sense they're really more analytical it's 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 discussion about the whole of something as a product well, the highs the lows and whatever uh whatever number we tack on it at the end is really just going to come down to our opinions but we do yeah. try to address all of the uh the devil's advocacy. And that's why we wrote those articles about our rating system. So you have a better idea of why we say what we say. But also, before I forget, to, to wrap up our album of this week, Arctic Monkeys AM, uh, 4, 4.25 across the board, this is a purchase. This is not a burn it, a listen to it. This is a purchase. You know, just about anybody who likes music will get something from this. You'll enjoy it. So definitely go out and buy this record. It's definitely worth your money. I think it's a pop a pop your city in a car and you know ride to it kind of album. That's yeah. That's it's definitely that. a commuting it's a album. Yeah. Road trip album. Yeah, I yeah. could see that. For me, driving very active listening time. Me too. A lot of people think it's passive because all you got to focus on the road. But if you're a good driver, you you probably have that down to it. Like a, you I know, said, a obs- second <laughs> obsessed with that Schaefer record. I dissected it, listening to it, and thoroughly enjoyed it. You guys should really pay more attention to the road. Thanks, John. I'm just Wait, saying. Wait, of the three of us, who in this room has been arrested? That is besides the oh, point. Oh, yeah, oh he called you out. I was arrested over an out headlight. Like, that's just silly. It is silly. Um, but I think I think this is a good place to kind of start wrapping up. Um, we're definitely going to get more in-depth into where we're going and what we're doing with the podcast and the website. Thank you for listening, as always. Question, comments, want to give ideas? Crashcordsblog at gmail.com. And as always, we're going to close with two things. One is going to be our next album, and two will be the spam mail from Steven. So while while Steve prepares that, I just want I, I do want to put out there that also comments on the website we do see them. Um, feel free to tell us what you think. Um, reach out to us. And one thing I want to talk about it besides we keep asking for albums like suggestions that way, and we will more than happy do something like that. I would also like if there's anything you want us to talk about because we come up with all these topics and some of them are duds and most of them I think are awesome because they're my ideas. But we really want to know what you would want our opinions on, not just on an album scale, but how we view certain topics. We would we would more than uh, be more than happy to actually wax eloquence on something of that such. And and to that effect also, I'm going to actually speak directly. I'm talking to you, Robbie Amaya, since I gave you a shout-out earlier. Send us an album suggestion. If you have an album you want us to review, if we get fan suggestions for, e- for albums, we will do fan episodes. We will review those albums. We haven't gotten any yet, but we definitely will. That's what spawned the guests bringing their own album choice. And it's a fan it's, recommendation, and if it's a if it's a if it's an album that we really don't like, we won't mention your name. This way, you're not embarrassed. Nah, I don't know that that's true. Well, except for some of my friends, because yeah, I would I would totally embarrass them. Anyway, Steve, All what right, do you got so, for us this week? Well, while everyone wonders about uh, John's arrest, Woolrich Bibbs venete a conoscere e prendere bel ricordo di questa famosa terra di Wild Pennsylvania, din Igre. Elder Rocker Arganska Kinder Verdrivet by Woolworth Online.
That was an excellent accent. I was very impressed with the vocal work. Very impressed. I would have been more impressive if there was better harmonies. It was kind of solo. Harmonies? <laughs> I, I am not a Mongolian throat singer. I you are do, not. I cannot do self-harmonies. Um, Which would be really cool. It would be really cool. All right. I did test once. I managed to get one note down. That's pretty good. It took an hour of practice. That's pretty uh, good. Of course it did. Wait, wait, unless you got another hour on the podcast. Yeah, that's not. I'll, that's okay. I can, that, I can no, work on it. We're, we're I, good. I, I no, no, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. No, 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 we're good. Okay. All right. Anyway, so anyway, we're... what's your pick for next not week, Steve? Next week, we are going back to Prague. This is a little more of a straightforward Prague than perhaps uh, the Godsticks idea that I introduced to you back in uh, podcasts 051. But... This is something a little bit more... It incorporates a little bit more metal, perhaps. Ooh. But it, it's it's really going to be kind of kind of technical. And I believe most, if not all, of this album is going to be instrumental. Oh, huh, interesting. Okay. Yep. Um, I don't think we've had too many full instrumentals before. Uh, Boards of Canada are the only ones so far. Boards of Canada, uh, perhaps a couple of others. B- 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 Halo. And, and Pacific Rim. And... Uh, Oh yeah, so we've fly, had a flying load. Okay, All we've right. had a few. Fair enough. A, a rock then, rock wise. Rock instrument. We haven't done anything rock by Trans Siberian Orchestra yet. Correct. <laughs> that would be an interesting little adventure. We'll All get right, there. All right. So the name of the album by uh, well, the name of the band, Scale the Summit. The name of the album, The Migration. Scale the Summit. I like that as a band name. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. So um, remember, as always, music, music is, is life, life and, and life, life is, is good. good.